Chapter 16 of Cherry and Violet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ritu, Canada. Cherry and Violet by Anne Manning. Chapter 16 The Burning City. Next day, the holiday of life was over, its duties recommenced. Master Blower had an accumulation of business to attend to, and I had plenty to do about the house. Before the end of the week, I was immersed in cares that were pleasures to me, inasmuch as they lightened his own. But I could not resist paying a visit to the bridge, and spending an hour in the dear old house, and another afterwards with Violet. She and Mark came to sup with us. I found they were not going to marry till six months were out, which was full quick after all but i was thankful they would wait so long a change seemed coming over mark he was steady composed attentive to business and far pleasanter whether lively or sad than in his earlier days as to violet she was infinitely softened and the old spirit of coquetry seemed quite to have burned out we did not see them often, but Master Blower always received them kindly, and they seemed to consider it a privilege as well as a pleasure to come to us. Thus the winter wore on, the plague was stayed, and though it was common to meet in the streets men in their nightcaps, limping or with their throats bound up, no one thought of getting out of their way, for the infection had spent itself, and persons that were strangers to each other might be heard exchanging congratulations on the improved state of things, now that houses and shops were reopening, the weeds beginning to disappear from the thoroughfares, and men no longer walked along the middle of the streets but on the foot pavements. My dear husband endeavoured to impress the hearts and minds of his people, in season and out of season, with a sense of the mercy that had preserved them, but I am sorry to say, with very little permanent effect. True it is, at first the ground was broken up, and the clods were soft, and the good seed that was cast in seemed likely to fructify. But alas, the hot sun of worldly temptation soon hardened the ground and burnt the seed up, and people that had almost miraculously escaped the general judgment seemed little better than they were before. This depressed my dear husband very much, but instead of relaxing his efforts, he only redoubled them and he said i strengthened his hands there was also a great deal of distress owing to the general stagnation of trade and the vast numbers of people thrown out of employ so that though we did all we could it was heart-rending to witness the misery in some of the lower districts of our parish we pinched ourselves to help them voluntarily giving up such and such things at our table and this with such cheerfulness that i really believe our self-privations gave us more actual enjoyment than if we had ate the fat and drank the sweet to our heart's desire and once or twice it remarkably happened that when we had a little exceeded in this way and had supplied thereby the needs of a more than ordinary number a great hamper would arrive from mistress blower full of game poultry eggs butter brawn hams tongues and everything that was good Often we talked over that sweet place the hampers came from, and it seemed to me that my husband, more and more inclined towards the country, especially as his throat had never quite recovered the effects of the plague, and he found he could not make himself heard throughout the remoter parts of his large church without difficulty. Quite at the end of the summer, the old incumbent of Buckland's parsonage died, and as the living was in the squire's gift, and he had some notion his brother would like it, he wrote to offer it to him. 
my husband asked my mind about it i said i should like it of all things if he could be content with so small and quiet a field of action he said yes the time had been when it had been otherwise with him the harder the work the greater the pleasure especially as carrying some sense of glory in the victory over it but it was not so with him now he could be content with trying to do good on a small scale especially as he had not been quite so successful on the larger field of action as he had hoped and expected could i preach like apollos continued he to what good to the half of my congregation who cannot catch one word in 10 so that in fact i preach to a small congregation already and i have no mind to receive the pay without doing the work there's no fear cherry of my not making myself audible in buckland's church besides do you know i fancy i have a little domestic mission there my dear good brother who has dozed under dr bray for so many years has languished under a spiritual dearth he's now getting in years and i think i may do something for him you know he told you he thought my sermons were the real thing he said replied i that you not only hit the right nail on the head but hammered it well in after some further talk which only went to prove how completely we were of a mind on the matter the letters were written and sent to accept the one living and resign the other that was on the 2nd of september the same night broke out that dreadful fire which lasted 3 days and 3 nights and destroyed 15 of the 26 city wards including 400 streets and lanes and 13000 houses oh what a dreadful calamity we were in bed a little after 10 when shrieks and cries of fire awoke us and my dear husband put his head forth of the window and asked where it was a man running along answered on or at the foot of london bridge then our hearts failed us for violet and mark and all our old friends and we dressed and went forth for i could not be stayed from accompanying master blower but before we could reach the bridge foot we found access to it cut off both by reason of the crowd and of the flames the only comfort was that the fire kept off the bridge there was so much tumult and pressure that we could only keep on the skirts of the crowd where we hung about without doing any good for some hours the next morning we were in hope of hearing the fire had been got under instead of which the whole bankside was wrapped in flames and all the houses from the bridge foot and all thames street were lying in ashes the people seemed all at pause gazing on without stirring hand or foot and those that were personal sufferers were venting their grief in cries and lamentations but we could not find that any life had yet been lost and the fire kept off the bridge when i went home at dusk it was to pray for the poor sufferers and then to muse how far the calamity might extend supper was on table but i had no mind to eat which was all the better as my husband presently brought in a poor weeping family who had lost everything and had not touched a morsel all day we gave them a good meal and shelter for the night they slept but we could not there was no need of candles all that night which was as light as day for 10 miles round the fire was now spreading all along the south part of the city leaping from house to house and street to street for the very air seemed ignited showers of sparks and ashes were falling in every direction and the pavement was growing almost too hot to tread upon my husband kept bringing in new refugees as long as our house would hold them and i was too busy caring for them to have leisure to go forth even had it been safe but each newcomer brought fresh tidings of the desolation which was now extending to churches public monuments hospitals companies halls as though it would carry all before it 
we now began to be in some alarm for ourselves and to consider what we should do if it came our way. And now we experience the convenience of having but little treasure that moth, rust or fire could injure or when Master Blower had made up a small packet of papers and ready money that we could readily carry about us, there was nothing left for the destroyer to consume but our poor furniture and the house over our heads. Very opportunely, at this time came to our door a Berkshire countryman with one of the good squire's hampers full of eatables. I never saw a poor fellow look so scared. He got a good view of the calamity from a distance and then set his face homewards in as great a hurry as if the flames were in chase of him. The streets were now full of carts loaded with movables which their owners were conveying out of town, giving way to the calamity rather than seeking to arrest it, which indeed it was now vain to attempt, though I think something might have been done at first. St. Paul's was now in a blaze, the great stones exploding with intense heat and the melted lead running along the gutters. This night also we got scarce any rest. The next morning, while I was overlooking my stores and considering how I should best husband them for my poor inmates, in comes Mark, his face blackened, his hair full of ashes, his clothes singed in many places, and his shoes nearly burnt off his feet. Thank God you're safe then, cries he, catching hold of both my hands. The sky looked so fiery in this quarter during the night that Violet and I were in dreadful fear for you. And I started at daybreak and came here by making a great round to see how it fared with you. And Violet bids me say that she has not forgotten your father's and mother's kindness to her father and mother when they were burned out of house and home, nor how she and you were put together in the same cradle. And it will make her and me, dear Cherry, unspeakably happy to receive you and Master Blower under the very same roof should you be burnt out of your own. I said, Dear Mark, this is so like you and Violet, just the kindness I should have expected. Believe me, we shall thankfully accept it, if there be need. But at present, the fire is all about us, yet comes not to us. We have made up our little parcel of treasures, a little one indeed, Mark, and are ready to start at a minute's notice, trusting to a good God to spare our lives. This old house, if it once catches, will burn like tinder. Meanwhile, come and see how many it holds. So I led him from room to room and showed him mothers nursing their infants, children eating bread and milk, and old people still sleeping heavily. He was greatly interested and impressed. What a good soul you are, said he. I can give you no notion of the scenes of misery on the outskirts through which I passed on my way here. People huddled in tents or lying under hedges or on heaps of litter and broken furniture without a morsel of bread or a cup of milk, yet none begging. I saw a few bread carts and milk people coming up to them as I passed along, but many had no money, not even a penny, to buy a breakfast. I had filled my purse, Cherry, with all that was in the till before I set out. But you see, there's not much in it now. And he pulled out an empty purse with a smile that showed he was well pleased with the way its contents had gone. Then we shook hands heartily and parted. To the loud crackling of flames and crash of falling buildings was now added the blowing up of houses with gunpowder, which indeed made the neighborhood of them very dangerous to bystanders, but checked the progress of the fire. However, nothing effectual could have been done had it not pleased Almighty God to stay His judgment by abating the high wind, which fell at once, whereby the flames ceased to spread, though the glowing ruins continued to burn. The crisis being now past, we ceased to be in apprehension for ourselves, 
and devoted all our attention to the poor bereft people under our care some of these were fetched away by their country friends sooner or later all dispersed and then we went out into the fields adjoining the city to afford what little help we could but oh the desolation to attempt to assuage that accumulation of destitution by our trivial means seemed like essaying to subdue the fire with a cup of water yet we know that every little helps and that even a cup of water to the thirsty man who drinks it quenches not his thirst the less that thousands beside are parched with drought and thus by analogy concerning the general amount of human suffering surrounding us at all times which the wife of a whitechapel parson is perhaps as well qualified to speak of as any one else we need not be discouraged from aiding any because we cannot succor all since the relief afforded is as grateful to him who has it as though all were relieved which it is not god's will that any should have power to accomplish by the end of the month this terrible calamity was overpassed at least as far as we had anything to do with it though we continued to give shelter to poor ruined householders as long as the parsonage was our own the gentleman who succeeded my dear husband seemed a benevolent sort of man a little pompous maybe but tenderly disposed towards the poor and now everything being settled we sold some of our old furniture and sent down the rest with mistress peach by the wagon and my dear husband and i entered bucklands exactly as we had left it and on the very same horse i in my cherry colour habit that was as fresh as on my wedding day and here we have been ever since and he calls me his right hand and says my attention to all his secular affairs leaves his mind at liberty to pursue his duties and studies without distraction and that i understand the poor even better than he does and that i am his best counsellor his dearest friend his pleasantest companion his darling cherry yes he calls me and i believe he thinks me all this and as for my being happy in him i should think so indeed end of chapter 16 the burning city end of cherry and violet by ann manning